Welcome to Just Love Banky Podcast. Alright, we're good. I think I think we're going. So the question that I wanted to tie this back to was if you had uh, whether you want to call it artificial intelligence or some superior being or some sort of all powerful uh, superior thing uh, that wasn't human but was able to interact with humans and you asked it to grant a wish uh, and, and this ties back to one of, one of those books we've read about AI and, and all that but you ask it to grant you a wish of eternal happiness and not not being very specific about that this uh, this artificial intelligence or superior being uh, goes no problem I'm gonna put some tendrils into your brain and just stimulates the pleasure centers of your brain makes you feel a state of absolute bliss 24 7 uh, you have no thoughts all you just feel is this constant sensation of pure joy and happiness um, and my question was why doesn't that feel okay like why doesn't that feel like the goal when so much of what we seem to do as human beings is chase good feelings and minimize bad feelings That's a, I don't know, like, uh, like obviously, uh, I think, uh, I think it's in our DNA to, to constantly want to strive to survive, um, you know, as I, uh, I believe that, you know, maybe when we reach euphoria, all those chemicals that we typically need, the serotonin, uh, the oxygen, the, the, uh, the other one that no, I forgot, the dopamine. Oh, that's where there it is. Um, just the idea that you know, I think, I think because we've been surviving for so long. If you think about it, you, you, as a sperm in itself, you're facing off trillions of other sperms. Maybe not trillions, but millions, billions, maybe. But your 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 being in existence is a constant survival. And I think if we got regulated to just the experience of euphoric, like, uh, let me hook myself to this AI, the being in itself needs to always test itself. You always have to see where you can push, where you can survive. I, I, I don't know if it's because we have to dominate everything around us or if it's more of a long, will we constantly evolve? Like, if you think about it, if we, if we took it to the degree that if we don't evolve, uh, and we succumb to ourselves. Look at how vulnerable we would become. We'd become like you know in the time machine. Remember that movie where the the people above become like little baby children who can't do anything for themselves. And then when the uprising did come, they kind of all got destroyed. Um, like I, I don't know. Like do you think there's 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 a something in our hard drive? biologically that will just never let us succumb to that don't get me wrong i do believe that individuals can and are willing to let go of all life for search pleasures 
Um, we've seen this with individuals who struggle with drug addiction. We see individuals who give all um, other things, inhibitions and stuff along those lines uh, to, you know, drugs, alcohol, gambling. Um, individuals do lose control to an extent, but uh, would we as a society be willing to deviate to, yes, sign me up for that AI so I experience euphoria constantly? Or do you, I, I don't know, maybe it's boredom, maybe it's the fear of boredom? I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. Interesting. If, so I, I feel like the two, the two first points you brought up were survival and reproduction being programmed into our DNA. And if, if any animal, human or not, were to get stuck in a state of constant euphoria, where they're just experiencing raw pleasure, they will probably starve to death because they won't be eating. Uh, they won't defend themselves. So if a predator comes, they'll probably be eaten and they'll die. And they certainly will not reproduce. So genetically, uh, through natural selection, that likely has been bred out of us uh, and has not been encouraged in the way we've evolved. Um, I guess one thing that came to mind to me about that is if you are uncomfortable, because me, I feel, I feel uncomfortable with the idea of some superior intelligence dictating like my experience and like, I don't want to give up control of my existence for this experience and pleasure. Like if it were all or nothing kind of thing, because I think that's uh, in the original story or, or uh, like suggested concept uh, that I heard about this, the concept was like, oh, this thing takes over your mind when you ask for this. And it was almost like uh, the concept of like, make sure when you ask your genie for your wish, you're very specific, or you might not like what you wished for. Like you might, you might regret it. And in this, in this like hypothetical, when the person asked for eternal happiness, it just like, they disappeared. It was like they ceased to be and they were just this blob of joy. So they were experiencing exactly what they wanted, but it was like a, a curse instead of a blessing almost. And my curiosity was like, why is that a curse if that's what we're chasing? Um, if the concept is, it feels like a curse because programmed into our DNA is the desire to survive and reproduce. And those have been betrayed by our decision to experience nothing but pleasure. Then that's still something something else making this decision for me. Whether it's the AI making me uh, experiencing raw like joy, euphoria, nothing else, or DNA forcing me to choose not to do that because in the back of my mind somewhere, some little animal part of my brain says, no, you better not do that because you won't be able to survive or reproduce. Either way, it seems like something outside of myself is driving my experience and the freedom of choice is almost out of my hands. And do you think that's ultimately something that, because I know society in itself, um, you know, with the with different concepts, like we are a social creature, so freedom of choice is definitely important to us. Um, and I think that's where I'm conflicted with because I do like the Lockean uh, ideology of personal individualism over you know the collective Rousseauism philosophy of you know whatever benefits society first um but you think about it 
I, do you think that's a selfish thing, I guess, when you come down to it? Say, say if that did happen, someone says you can make one wish, and you wish just pleasure for yourself. I guess that, that does ultimately... Well, all right, what if, you, what, if you wish, what if you wish pleasure for everyone? What if, uh, you know, the, I think the concept comes up in different forms, in The Matrix or in uh, Naruto, when uh, Madara feels that the world has experienced too much suffering, uh, ties into the Buddhist concept that life is suffering, and he truly believes that having lived for far longer than a human being is supposed to live and experienced multiple lifetimes, that through that experience, he's confident that the only thing that really awaits anyone at the end of the day is pain. He decides to uh, basically, to anyone who doesn't understand Naruto, cast a magical spell that puts the entire world to sleep in a dream that will give them every, everything they ever wanted. So they'll be completely at peace. The world will hypothetically be a better place. You know, there's no more warfare, no more uh, no more ninjas destroying like half of the landscape. Things can heal. And everybody's just kind of sleeping uh, in a state of pure bliss and experiencing everything they ever wanted. Um, and the, the main characters of the story decide that this is, as, as nice as it sounds, is uh, unacceptable. And that everyone should have the freedom to live how they want, even if that means a great deal of suffering. And that somehow the suffering they've experienced is a defining factor of what makes them alive. And as enjoyable as it might be to go to sleep and have all the things they ever wanted that they could never really have... Uh, because it wasn't real, it didn't count, and that didn't matter. You know, I think uh, what was interesting to me, um, it was actually on Joe Rogan and Dave Chappelle, they were actually saying this concept, um, that, you know, when one of the beneficial things that they would like was parenthood, and they said, that, like, one of the greatest things that they have ever saw is when good people implement good ideas in their children and then you see what the children do as if you know like as like in github when you fork you see where that can go with uh people layering things on top putting another putting another level on and seeing where that goes i mean uh i don't know i i think it would be too simple for individuals to be like yes pleasure pleasure is everything um would society benefit would the world succumb to itself i mean you i think i don't know i don't i don't know if this is a fair comparison but when you saw like the lockdowns like everybody started locking down because of the the idea that asymptomatic individuals endangered uh a larger percentage of individuals than actually was true um but just the threat of Hurting another person, I think, activated everyone's good Samaritan. And there was, a, in the beginning, there was also a huge endangerment and threat, not knowing the fatality rate or the percentage of the population could, that could be affected. Now, would, would you, do you think individuals, I don't know, I don't think that was true, because if you saw a lot of individuals were very upset being closed and sheltered off and not being able to socialize at which we do. Um... And even though some individuals did suffer, you know, um, 
I don't know. Like, I don't, I can't see individuals saying, yes, I would like to just have pleasure and not see where this goes. And if this was beneficial for society, would I be willing to take it? Does this parallel to to the old uh, conflict between free will and determinism? Like, do you think if you, if you were like, yes, AI, you are regulating yourself to a deterministic, um, you know, fate? So to say, saying, okay, I signed up for this. Now, the rest of my life is scripted. Um, I don't know if individuals would be willing to want that. Uh, I think it's the randomness and the and the propensity of being, you know, the skin in the game. Just living, making the choices, understanding the flaws of what you are in life. The mistakes that you make, the regrets you will have. Just like when you walk away from all of it, that's your life. You're you're the main character of your own story, you know, as everybody says. And I think that's what it is. If you, if you take that away from if you take the narration of your own life away, I don't think anybody would be content with that. But again, I'm not everybody. I don't know. I I think you're right. I th- I like I like the story concept. I think I think that's I think that's big. I think there's a consistent theme throughout all of human history of being infatuated with stories, stories of other people, stories of heroes, stories of you know warning stories or celebration stories, and it's something we all tend to get lost in, like movies, books. It's always just been something that we love. I think that we uh, we really love to experience. Um, the reason why this idea is always tickling in the back of my mind is because I feel like it's something fundamental that AI can't understand about human beings because it's something that we innately feel. I feel like everybody, I mean, I'm sure somebody would say otherwise, but I feel like the vast majority of people when presented with the opportunity to shut their brain off and experience nothing but pleasure for the rest of their existence, don't feel like that's a good idea. And it's hard to put a finger onto why, because logically it sounds like uh, like I said, uh, I think before we started the, the podcast, it sounds like winning the game. Like, it, on a very logical AI dissection of what we're doing, um, it's just removing all blockers between you and what appears to be your goal. Uh, it seems like if you try to rationalize the root behind most of the things we do, it's trying to seek things that provide pleasure and like what is pleasure uh, if not like the release of positive chemicals in the brain and the reduction of pain or suffering uh, which you know uh, I'm sure there's a more comprehensive definition but for the sake of my uh, poorly written AI uh, that's just the release of negative chemicals in the brain so we're just trying to increase, maximize the positive chemicals in the brain and minimize the negative chemicals in the brain as much as possible. And that logically seems like the goal. Uh, but it seems like human beings are always more about the journey than the end result. Like the adventure is almost more important than the thing you're seeking. The path is the, the path is really like the reward itself. And like getting there is just like proof that the journey happened or something so it's like the, the validation at the end but it wasn't really the purpose um, and I feel like for an AI to be a human 
it would have to be able to understand those innately human concepts that we feel, but that are hard to express. I, uh, I agree. I think, I think if someone like, you know, um, just in regular life, maybe it's, uh, if someone were to come up to you, what you have to do for this task is, oh, nothing. Here you go. Uh, it's not as, as, um, appreciative or as much as you love when you have to actually struggle through that thing and it's the memories i think it's the ups and downs like uh jordan peterson said you gotta understand the limits of your own being to fully actually actualize your being as a self uh to push the boundaries to the degree where you know these are my boundaries these is what defines me as a human being you know not as a human being in, in general sense but as a being in self um you know i i meant Obviously, Maduro ends up losing. Spoiler alert! But uh, uh, <laughs> against the you know a bunch of the the up and coming generation that doesn't believe that doesn't want being that ninja stew, you know. Uh, right. They don't want to. They don't want to be stuck on the spell, so they <laughs> end up defeating him. And even though I think I think in the storyline they actually all end up in the dream, and they turn their back on the dream within the dream, even though it's like it's really hard to do so because it gave them everything they ever wanted and things that they'll never be able to have, like. Uh, the resurrection of family members that are gone and stuff like that. Um, you know, they turn on that dream and say, no, this is not what we want. We want our real lives back, even though in comparison, they're not, they don't feel as good. I mean, you know what, what just popped into my head actually just now was the fact of dreaming. You know, some individuals have dreams, you know, and then you're like, oh, but once you wake up, that's the end of the dream. You know, I think, I think people... You know, uh, I, I don't know exactly the whole science behind dreaming, but, you know, once the dream ends, that's it. Like, sometimes, I don't know, my significant other says, don't try to enter the dream that you had before. Um, but I do. I try. Like, if I had a good dream and I want to try to enter that dreamscape again, I'll try. Um, sometimes I do end up in that landscape, but most of the times I don't. Uh you know, they actually say if you, you're dreaming, you're not actually getting a very deep sleep, so that's not good. Uh, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I, I, don't, I would say, like, people were given this opportunity. Like, you know how some people, like, I joke all the time. If I got given, uh, like, if I won the Mega Millions today, I'd be ecstatic. Um, but the saying goes, you know, individuals who don't earn it will never keep it. Um, I, right. I, I think I would really... Object I think you would idea. do well. I think that you you're very good at saving. I think I think that concept is more that if you've earned it, like you know how to earn it again. Like oh yeah, you, you know the, you want it. the like process. It's, you know, if you if you clawed your way from nothing to mega millions, the life experience and like the the savviness you have towards money and making money are great enough that. You're, you're very likely to keep that money, especially because you can appreciate its value. But like, even if you lost it all, you're probably going to be able to make a large amount of money again just because of the, the knowledge you gained from the, doing it the first time. Yeah, that's what... Uh, you, do you know James Altucher? That's what he was saying. He, he became a millionaire like five times. And he's like, yeah. there's two different skills. One, you can become rich... And the second skill that you really need is to stay rich. Um, 
you know, he uses the comparison. It seems like he's bad at the second one. <laughs> uh, no, he's, he's maintained his wealth since then. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you were saying, like, you know, how Mike Tyson made a lot of money. However, he struggled, um, I think, mid-career and later in his career. Yeah, I, I, think, think, I think Mike got wrecked by, like, his... Uh his manager or whatever. Like oh, yeah. Manager, they stole man they robbed him blind. That's right. I mean, I hear that happens a lot, actually. Yeah. I feel like people, if, if you're not used, if you don't, if you're not raised in money and you come up upon a great deal of money, you know, you don't want to mess it up. You don't want to blow it. So you trust somebody to help you with it. And they're like, oh, cool. I'm just going to spend all this guy's money. That's something else that I'm very curious about, too, because uh, uh, my significant other works in Montessori, and she says Montessori is like, kind of like a private uh, school where you know very well-off families put their kids in, um, and she says it's a different concept of learning there. The children just have a different idea of learning. Like They're taught like, through osmosis, sort of, of skills and principles that their successful parents have learn through experience and hard ways and maybe pass down from their parents but they get this for free and then you know individuals who go to the public school such as myself uh we don't we have to self-educate ourselves like you know uh we, i think one concept was just the idea of like money how to budget money how what to do with money what what's the concept of money like uh, i think we had one homewreck class that we learned about checks and how to write a check but we never yeah. learned financial budgeting or along those I mean, lines. I forgot that by the time I actually wrote a check. <laughs> I had a good, I had a, you know, I had to use a search engine to find that anyway. <laughs> anyway, but it's like, oh, does this go up in here? Where do I sign again? Um, but even on like letters now, I still have to verify. I'm just like, is this uh, the stamp goes here? Yeah. Um, it's just like common ideas that we take that we think everybody knows. Some people don't. And, uh, Wait, does it matter where the stamp goes? I think it has to go to the top right. Actually, I don't know. That, that's what that's what I thought. But I received a beach ball in the mail with stamps all over it. From who? Oh, don't don't dox this. Don't dox this information. <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> who gives you a beach ball? It was, uh, it was a charity that I had donated to. Uh, from somebody I really like, and he, uh, his charity, usually they do, they do like fun things like that. So as a thank you for my first donation, uh, they wrote on a beach ball like "thank you," you know, like your donation is supported, blah blah blah, and they they covered it in a bunch of stamps and mailed it to me. Well, you probably made your money back from those forty-five cent stamps. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, is such a big scam. You're paying like fifty cents for to to mail in with postage. For like a letter, you're not 100 percent sure will actually end up there. Like that's so true. Whereas email is free and guaranteed to get there <laughs> unless you type the email wrong. Uh, hit or miss. Uh, I would say <laughs> it's a higher probability of successfully getting to the recipient. And uh, it's free, so you can send. You can you can try again as many times as you want. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting concept. You know, I don't know. Like uh, a beach ball. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I recently saw that, like, uh, uh, you know, the post office has their ICOP, uh, surveillance arm now, and it's just like, really, USPS, you really are, uh, <laughs> instituting a branch for surveillance? I would just worry about keeping your post office open, you know? Right. Um, 
Like, I don't know. Keep it open through espionage. I don't know if, like, privatization of the USPS would actually be be beneficial. I do think, you know, if FedEx or Amazon wanted to buy them, I You know what? It's something I'm comfortable leaving the way it is. I think it works. It works well, especially from the stories I've heard in comparison to the postal services of other countries. I think we do a pretty good job. Like, I've I've heard stories of uh, some of the people I work with come from like random countries in the Middle East, uh, and they tell me that they have postal services where it's like, it'll take you three weeks to get a mail, uh, to get a letter that your next door neighbor sent you. And <laughs> it doesn't get delivered to your door. You have to go pick it up at the post office. So everybody's always waiting in line at the post office. It's like the DMV. Yeah, the DMV. Yeah, the DMV, man. That's something that people should really put their, <laughs> their heart and like something to figure that out. Honestly, how is the DMV so, like, I think it's the regulations. Like, it goes back to, like, you gotta get all these stupid licenses, permits. I mean, I don't know. Does that even benefit? Like, the individuals who are still driving are insane. So, like, I don't know. Like, that's that's another thing that uh, we talked about previously before the podcast. But we talked about, like, Tesla and how the AI uh, will lead. But, like, if you think about it, if, if Teslas did take over... Uh, the individual that that commodity in itself would become like a monopolized. I would say, like if there was one one car that took over all other cars, like there was only one car you can use. Like if you think about, it, can you even drive manual? Like are individuals still driving manual? I don't know. Uh, I think only if it's like a skill that their parents impress upon them. I drive manual. I know how to drive manual. I tried to learn how to drive manual, but my dad was not a fun teacher. And eventually I said, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I just learned automatic and was done as fast as possible. You know what's, you know what's crazy about that, though? Is, like, both our fathers are professionals in teachers. And then, like, <laughs> for some reason, that switch just fades away when they they are fathers, you would think that their skill, the occupation that they do for a living, would translate to being like exceptional teachers. But I feel like it just goes reverse, and like you're just so frustrated. Like they have no patience. All their patience has been used in the classroom. So my father That's as well was very rough on me too. He, I remember the first time I ever drove, he got out like in the middle of the road. And I was like, oh, your shit. turn. And I was like, what? Like, what am I doing? Like. Like there was no, and then like the the third time ever driving, he made me drive on a mash turnpike, and I was like, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. And these are yeah. these cars were whipping by us. I never I never made a change in lane before, and I was like, I don't know how to get off. Oh my god, that was brutal. <laughs> yeah, it's just like uh, it's crazy. It's cr- I, he gave up on teaching me how to ride a bicycle. I learned that on my own. He was like, I'm done, and I was like, oh. Well, but he takes credit now. He's like, remember what? You didn't teach me. I had to learn. I had to learn on my own, you <laughs> son of a gun. But, uh, you know, uh, you know what's crazy is uh, it took me almost 30 years to really appreciate my father as a father. Um, I don't know. Uh, the other day, like probably a month, two months ago, uh, I just told him. I, I was like, hey. I really appreciate every you, everything you've done, everything you sacrificed. Because I feel like my father would have been in a better place if I was not in his family. Like, I think he would have made better life de- decisions. But because of being a family man, he put us first, you know. 
and uh, he tried to he tried to deflect it, and like. I don't know. Maybe he would have cried if I left right then and there, but like we were playing a game at the time, so he was like, you know, it seemed like it w- it would have been a tearjerker moment, but you know, he he's a man, man, you know. Um, uh, I don't. Is he part of the baby boomers? I guess maybe baby boomers. I don't know. But uh, you know, it's it's crazy because like you you always think like I wonder if my kids will think of that. Like your parents will always be your parents. But it takes a long time to realize, hey, being a parent kind of is a huge yeah. responsibility and kind of sucks, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, like, I, I'm not saying it sucks in a bad way. I'm just saying it's like right. just so much work. And it's just like, you know, I babysitted and like when you get that age, stuff. like life is tough enough just by yes. itself. Like it's hard, it's hard to swing things even if you don't have kids. Oh, so man. adding that to the mix is just like brutal. Like 100%. I mean... You know, a lot of people speculate and say, like, you know, this is the, or, you know, gener- millennial generation is the first generation who gets a shitty hand. I mean, perspective matters. I mean, obviously, the people before us, the scientific generation, went through the Depression and World Wars. Like, so, like, can we really talk, you know? Um, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's an exciting thing, you know? It's exciting. Like, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, damn. Sometimes I, you, you know, I don't feel old, but like when someone says, "Hey, I'm born in the 2000s," I'm like, "Oh my gosh, what has happened?" Yeah, I, I get that too. Like I feel like I'm, I don't, I don't identify with like being much older than I was when I was like in my early 20s. But like, yeah, something like that'll happen where I'll meet somebody who is like fully grown and was born when I was like 10. And I'm like, oh man, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> or like, like, you know, like those stupid musical posts where like, you know, uh, 2007 was like 13 years ago. And like in the back of my mind, when I hear 2007, I think like, no, it was like, it was like five years ago. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it is. It's, uh, it's a while ago now. Yeah. Well, yeah you think but of- like, you know, I feel like, I don't know, like, I think the issue is that and I don't, I don't know what the cause is. My theory is that time goes faster. The, the feeling of time goes faster as you get older. And I wonder if it's because the amount of... The sensation of the present moment shrinks in comparison to the total amount of time you've experienced since being born. So it's like a, it's like a snowball effect. It keeps going faster and faster because it's... Uh, yeah, I, I remember you used to have an expression about the pond. Like you said, a raindrop into a pond, or was it a puddle? Raindrop into a puddle. My expression about bodies of water is for fat loss. I really believe that <laughs> you you lose fat the same way a like a lake or a pond loses water. So like. If, if a pond is drying up, like if you were to, if you were to like lay down spread eagle and draw a circle around yourself and imagine yourself as a pond where the dip is in the center where your belly is, you're going to lose the water there last at the very center because that's the deepest. But the water you're going to lose first is going to be around the edges, like your forearms and eventually your upper arms and like your legs. You're going to get like, you're going to end up with like vascularity there while you're still, you still have like a little bit of fat left on your belly. Oh, that's not where I was going. I just remember, like, you told me once about, like, memories and, like, how you're, like, you know, when you were younger, you had such a small uh, puddle or so to say. So when you look back, 
you could take like maybe one drop of that and be like, oh, to relative um, comparison, this isn't much. But now that you age, that puddle becomes like a lake, that it becomes a pond, that becomes an ocean. Uh, you know, it's a it's a oh, bigger okay. difference of time. Okay, so it's like now a day is just like a relevant comparison, whereas in the beginning, a day or an hour was like a huge contribution towards a small puddle. Now a day is like a drop in the bucket. Yeah. I remember you said something back in the day about that. Uh, uh, you know, I think that's that's another thing too. Like, uh, I don't know, life life in itself is extremely crazy. Like, uh, um, huge fan of Joe Rogan, but Joe Rogan today was like, if you had to live your life indefinitely, would you be happy? And it's like, huh, interesting. Yeah, if I were to repeat this day infinitely, probably not. But I'm close. I think that if I could have like a four-hour workday, I think I'd be okay with that. I think that'd be pretty cool, and everything else I could roll with, more or less. But you know, there's definitely improvements that could be made. Even the things that I'm happy with, I think that I could do more. And that's another thing. That's another thing about the human experience is we always want progression. And I think that's another key piece of tying this back to where this all started why we wouldn't be satisfied just experiencing nothing but pleasure because there's something else to the puzzle. I think there's that sense of fulfillment and achievement that we crave and we want validation and proof that we've achieved something. We want to be able to really physically see and feel that we've built and created something greater than we had the day before. I mean, yeah. And we're not, we're not doing that if we're just experiencing pleasure. I, I agree. I agree. Well, you need something to compare yourself to, right? Yeah. yeah. But, like, what... How do you define that drive? What is that? Because I, 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 when I think about it, I, there's a feeling, but I'm not sure, like, what it is. Like, is it ambition? Uh, I don't know. To constantly progress, or yeah, that sort of like the the two factors there that that humans need to feel like their life was worth it, and I think it's it's different types of progression. I think one of them is like achievement and really like accomplishing things and growing, but the other one is like overcoming struggle, and I think there's a bit of a difference there. I think there's like I think it's like two separate paths potentially that might like intertwine at different parts, but I think you can you can overcome a great challenge without without achieving anything other than having overcome the challenge and feel a sense of fulfillment and accomplishment. And even though you suffer greatly at the end, there's a sense of real I don't know, like there's a sense of like that was one of the things that made my life worth living. That was something that made my story worth telling. And that was that was important. And then I think the other one is the desire to really create and build and show that the the fruits of your labor, the results of your habits and your efforts have been productive and successful. Huh. Interesting. So those are the two factors that I think make it unling to get lost in a sensation of raw pleasure. 
that why you don't do raw pleasure, right. right? Why why given the opportunity, if we had the ability to like promise you, guarantee there's not gonna be you're not gonna no predator's gonna eat you, you're not gonna have to worry about anything. You can just lay down right here and you'll experience raw bliss for the rest of your life. I think those those are the two factors that come to mind for me as to why someone would say no to that. Mm. Well, honestly, and I think those two factors are why a Ready Player One kind of thing could work because you can simulate those factors. Oh, interesting. And if you simulate those factors in a way that is satisfying, I think that I think that would be it. Wouldn't be perfect, but I think it would be enough to keep people going. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Enough to progress. And I think this is where video games are so successful. I think that's why I, I love to play them because it gives me the feeling of uh, progressing in terms of like I'm overcoming a great challenge. I'm I'm building my skill. I'm really, you know, proving my metal by, you know, like it's I'm not really I'm not like going out there like actually fighting, but through repetition and practice, I'm performing specific actions that allow me to succeed. And it was difficult, and then it became doable. So I was able to prove to myself that through my own effort, I could succeed. And then through that success, I accumulate something that gives me a tangible sense of growth that I have more than I did yesterday. I, I, I could see that. I think that's why people love it because they not only do they experience escapism in like virtual stimulating landscapes, they also are able to achieve daily tasks like things that maybe their life and they have control. Think about it. They have uh, they can mod their avatars in a distinct way. They can tell what they want to do with their avatar. They have control to a distinct taste too. Which, you know, some people feel like they aren't in control of their life, you know. And, uh, I understand that. I mean, I, I, I haven't been in video games in a long time. I, uh, for some odd reason, I love macro, like macro control. Like, I love, uh, overseeing economies, some diplomacy, like strategy games, where, like, huge mistakes can usually end my whole empires very quickly. <laughs> You're good at those games. Oh yeah, the ARs have improved over time. <laughs> like, have you uh, have you ever read the book or watched the movie Ender's Game? Ender's Game? Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, Olson Scott, I think, was the author. But like, they had like, it was like a futuristic movie. Uh, well, apparently, there's a whole series. I've only read the first book. Uh, I heard the movie was awful. But like, they had. Like, basically, Academy, and it was kind of like a YA, where you're developing into something. But they had a simulation where um, you kind of played, like, a video game, but you found out at the end of the story, spoiler alert, that you were battling against an alien force, and you ended if you beat the game, you beat the alien force. Apparently, that's not true, because 
there was like seven other books afterwards. So <laughs> I wonder what happened in those. Um, but it's interesting, you know, uh, like Knights of Sedona. Um, that was on Netflix. That was that was a good anime that I really liked. And uh, there was that kid who was isolated, and he just got to play in the simulation as a flight, um, a, a fighter flight guy. And then when he came out and met other individuals, he was so he was skills way beyond anybody else, because that's that's basically all he did. And I don't know if he was a clone. I kind of forget the storyline. But was, I, I enjoyed. I remember the emotion I had watching that show. It's very good. That's nice. It's never. You never know. You never know with such such things. Um, like that's the thing. Like I, I think we discussed uh, with your father the other day, or one of your relatives, about how books differ from television because one's physically stimulating you, uh, while yeah. the other one. You're reading and you're engaging. That's you're... exactly my dad's kind of thing to say. Yeah. He's always big about reprimanding people for not reading more. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think it was uh, that when you are watching, you're just a passive observer being fed a story. But when you are reading, you are actively engaged, imagining, and really using your brain. So it's an active experience, not a passive experience. Yeah. I just liked it because, like, when you, uh, as long as you don't spoil it for yourself, you uh, you can, you know, imagine it in your way. But obviously the author gives you kind of like a, f- a broad framework of everything, but you're visualizing it, you know? You know, what I, you know what I liked is when my uncle was talking to us about Game of Thrones and we were saying characters' names and he was like, he was like that's, that's their name? <laughs> He's just been saying it in his head wrong the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I do that all the time. I honestly like if they start like, like it's unfortunate because uh, there's a there's a TV show on Netflix that I read. I read like probably three four years ago. I don't remember any of it. Like I remember very very small bits about it. Oh, Shadow and Bone, I think it's called on Netflix. But I read the whole series, and I think I have like the latest book I have to read. But like, um, it was by Leia Badoro. Um, but she crossed over. The TV show kind of crossed over two series she owns. Uh, Six Feet Under, Crooked Kingdom, and, like, the Shadow and Bone series. And I was like, I kind of remember this stuff, but I kind of don't. Um, yeah, like, it's... it's I, Because I was like, I think I read this book, and I had to actually go open up my Kindle and look at it. And I was like, oh, my God, I did read these books. That's but, awesome. But it's crazy because, like, some books I'll remember a lot, and other books I just won't. Um, yeah, I wonder why that is. Because like you read them with pretty much the same attention, but yeah. some of them just like really stand out. Like Ward Man, uh, I forget the writer of the Ward Man, but that was such a powerful book. Uh, Ward Man, uh, that was a good book. That was very interesting. I, I read that one. Demon Cycle. That was basically it all. Yeah, this fucking oh Peter V Brett. This was a good series. I binged the whole series. Within like a week, nice. it was such a good series. I think about this. You've, you, you really gotta start writing again. Yeah, you you should start writing again. We should write together. Let's let's take turns on a story. How about that? Oh no. Um. Yeah, we gotta start writing again. I mean, 
I remember you told me, like, what, five years ago, you were like, have you heard about Patreon, Josh? And I was like, what is that? And then you were like, well, people are writing stuff and publishing stuff. Now there's Substack, there's Buy Me a Coffee, there's PayPal, there's um, Bitcoin, you know. There's so many ways you could finance your dreams these days. What makes me crazy is when somebody when somebody that makes a Patreon too early, like when somebody like makes an Instagram and they post like five things and they get like like a hundred followers and they're like, all right, I made it, and they just like start posting their Patreon like support. I feel like that, I feel like that kills your growth. I feel like people are like, oh, you're just you're not in this for real. You're just in this for the mind. I, uh, but the point is, when like, um, you know, so in my opinion, I. I I think you want to re- you want to reach a point where you're not fighting to get more followers. Like where I would say like 10,000 is the earliest. I would say at 10,000 followers on Instagram, that's the earliest I think would be acceptable to open a Patreon. And I think ideally the more the better. Like I think 100,000 is like you're you're golden. Like nobody's going to be like, "Wow, this person's a money grubber." But if you have like a hundred followers and you open a Patreon, but I, I think it also depends on the medium. Like, if you if you have an incredibly niche field where those hundred followers would all be super engaged, and you're confident eighty percent of them would subscribe to your Patreon for twenty dollars a month, that's different. But if you're doing something that everybody else does in a saturated field, um, I think you would need to have enough followers that you seem like you have the impression of social clout before you start asking for money. I think it's like uh, what Gary Vee always says. He's like, you give, 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 and then you ask. Something like that. And like, asking that soon, you haven't given enough yet, so you seem greedy. Oh. Yeah, I, I believe in that philosophy. There's a lot of my writers and a lot of people that I follow that say, keep on providing value. And then, eventually, you'll be able to monetize whatever you provide. Like, uh, back to James Altucher and Jason Stapleton, two guys I enjoy. I don't know, 100%. I'm not backing any of their products. But they say, you know, 90% of your stuff put out for free. Good value, good beneficial stuff. But 10% put put behind the paywall. paywall. So, at that point, you have relationships with your audience. They know what your stuff is. And they're willing to pay. Because they're like, oh, this guy... Oh, this guy's free stuff is valuable. Let me see what's behind it. And don't get me wrong. You know what we should do? There's some things that I buy that I'm like, damn it, why did I buy this? <laughs> we should post this podcast. Make Start a Patreon? Instagram, get to about 100 followers and then open a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> There's this UFC fighter that I like and he started like an OnlyFans and people were making fun of him. Because, like, they, they speculated. There was some uh, speculation of him and his coach being more friendly than what they, you know, what a coach and a student might be. And they were making fun of him because they were like, oh, OnlyFans, huh? But uh, if you look at it, OnlyFans originally was for people who wanted to. Uh, um, it was kind of like a Patreon. And, like, oh, dude, what was that guy? I want to say it was Patrick McCormick or Matthew Inglesius. Was it Matthew Inglesius? I don't know. I don't know the names. But someone broke down Substack. 
And they were like, a lot, Substack at the beginning used to give huge, huge, like, um, what's that thing called when you give a huge, like, bonus payment? I forget what it was called. Um, oh, Advance, maybe it's called? I hope it's not called Advance. <laughs> but they give you, like, a, a huge lump sum. And, like, this guy broke it down saying, like, oh, for two years, you'll make $250,000. And... These writers, these reporters who used to be in these big publications were like, oh, you pay me half a million? Of course. Let's sign up. Let's do this for two years. So two years, you're guaranteed this. However, like one of the authors, I forget who, broke it down and realized they would have made so much money if they never did it with Substack. Like if they never did the contract of the advance. If instead they were just like, oh, you know what? Let me try to see what kind of following I'll have when I come over, you know? Uh, like Gray Mirror, like uh, Curtis. Uh, damn it, what's Curtis' last name? I forget. Uh, Moldbug. I forget his last name. Curtis Marvin. I don't know. Um, but Alexander, Scott Alexander. You know, all these individuals came over and was like, they had huge followings on their own, and then Substack just monetized it to the degree where they were making so much money, where they were like, wow. this advance, this advance makes us lose money. You know, Substack went out wow. on this. And it's like, really? You're a writer and you make were a four million? Were they being paid on top of the advance? Or was it just like, we're going to give you a flat fee of 250000 and yeah. you're working for us for two years? Like, it was a guarantee. Like, it was a guarantee, okay. hey, you, you're salaried for two years. This is what you're okay. making. Uh, don't quote me on the numbers exactly, but it was a, it so, was a, a substantial uh, amount. Hypothetically, if somebody paid you up front, like today, $250,000 with the expectation that you would then work for them for two years, but they wouldn't pay you any more money, only the 250000 they first paid you. How long would it take you to feel like annoyed that you weren't being paid more money? Um, I would probably be fine with that. I don't think anytime soon I would be making right. that much money. Um, like as yeah, I like, said, you know, if somebody if somebody doesn't have a lot of willpower, yeah, they might blow two hundred thousand of it in the first three months, and yeah. then be like, "Damn, now I'm not going to be able to eat, but I have to work all this time." So like, oh. if you're smart about it, and you you pay yourself a salary with the money, so you you like ration it out. I think that's okay, but like on the absolute worst side of the spectrum, you might have somebody who spends all the money up front, and then it's just like, I I can't provide for myself now because I have to spend all my working hours working for no money. Oh, or you, that's you might have what somebody you who like with. gets the money and then is like, "All right, like I'm kind of bored of this now, but I'm like stuck in this contract." Yeah, wow, that's what you were saying. I was thinking, oh, well, you know, I, I would be fine with two fifty thousand dollars right now. <laughs> yeah, but like, what about when it, how long would it take you to spend it? Because if you have it sitting in your bank, I feel like chances are you're probably going to spend more of it than you should. You. You you know not, maybe not you but like most people I feel like just when it's around you're like ah oh, shit you know like you're about to buy something I'm like well I can afford the nicer option I can spend an extra thousand here or there if I'm gonna get a car why should I skimp yeah you know it's interesting you know what I heard recently you know the FDIC um, you know insures the bank account when you up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars you know that was actually like it's not actually real. Technically, oh, that's not good. Technically, it could liquidate any minute because it's what it insures up to. The assets far outweigh what collateral they can up provide. 
I think uh, they had like okay. so think, it was like if it happened to like a single bank, then maybe they'd be able to help somebody. But yeah, if they, it happened to like a global financial collapse, then you're just screwed. Yeah, I think financial. I forget what the things was, but the, like 1.8 trillion dollars they uh, prospectively insure. However, they only have like 7.8 billion like liquid assets. Yeah, but that's that's the same thing for all insurance. If everybody collected on all the insurance they paid for at the exact same time, no one would get anything. That's the, that's the general concept for insurance across the board. Mm, I guess. Which is kind of, you know, because you know I have my qualms when well, insurance. Yeah, like for car insurance, you're not expecting every car in the country to simultaneously blow up. <laughs> you're expecting that people are going to take care of their shit. So you think... And oh, then yeah. once in a while, somebody's going to get an accident. Well, you know, oh, yeah, I don't know. This is why I disagree with, like, universal health care, you know. I don't know. I feel like that's a tricky situation because I've heard very good arguments on the subject. Like, uh, America has a trade-off, obviously, Big Pharma, and it's on the cutting edge of bio uh, biotechnology. Like, it's, like, eight times the more rate, like, Moore's Law rate. Uh, so technology, it you know, uh, increases every twofold. Uh, I don't know what the, the interval of time, but it increases and gets cheaper along goes. And they're saying that times eight in the biomedical field um wow so like well you know your uncle was saying the other day they can they can uh like what they say met like they can they can get it down to the needy greedy uh gene not genes was it genes but like for cancer treatment they can like alliterate the cells to a cellular degree they can get kill the the cancer cells which is like must be nice. Let's let's commercialize this so everybody can use it. Um, but that's another thing. That's the trade off, I guess, with it. Um, these individuals, these big pharma companies, um, there is a lucrative aspect. So there's a lot of startups that start with the intentions of getting rich by getting bought out by the inst- institutional giants, and then they monopolize it for a time being. So. You don't get, like, obviously they upcharge for, like, insulin shots and all these other things to make back of what their investment did for the startup biotech companies. So, I don't know. Everything has trade-offs, and I don't, like, I don't know. Everybody's different, too. Like, you can't be, like, like, as you said, health insurance is kind of, like, on the basis that not everyone will call in for it. So... Right. All, all insurance, without a doubt, is the exact same concept. They... They bank on the idea that no one, that as few people as possible are going to use it. That's why insurance only, I think, really exists for things that, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know much about the field, but I imagine that they have, like, uh, mathematical algorithms to calculate what are safe things to insure to make a huge profit. Well, because, that's- like, you know, nobody's going to want to burn their apartment down. So, because the, the inconvenience and the loss... Is more devastating than the money you're going to make for most people, and it's illegal, right? To do it on purpose. So, well, I forget which company, but one company, like a lot of companies, are investing in cyber security insurance. But uh, what was it? Uh, ARA or something? Some big company just paid out like forty million dollars, and I think it was supposedly Dark Side again. But you know, a lot of people are saying Dark Side was CIA operatives. Um, mm. You know, that could be 100% false. Do your research, ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary. But uh, it's a very interesting concept out there. I mean, 
you know, it sucks to be a cybersecurity professional at this, at this point in time. Um, but there's this kid, this kid on YouTube that I really enjoy, and he was just telling, like, he he's very good at just talking. Like, he doesn't say, um, uh, doesn't stutter, very good voice, like, and he's, like, only 21, but he has his OSCP, and he's a wow. pen tester. And I was like, good for you, bro. Like That's impressive. I was like, OCP, like, I was looking at the certi- certificate, and it costs, like, over, like, four grand to get so like I was damn. like, damn, bro, that's an investment. Yeah, I was. Well, I don't know. I saw what? What's the big company that has it? I don't know. Cisco maybe or CompTIA. I don't. No, nah, I don't. I don't. I don't remember. Um, Cisco does a lot of the network inserts. Oh, are they? Cisco is. Yeah, they do a lot of the networking stuff. Yeah. So maybe it was ethical. Maybe it was a hacker. What ECC? Was the ECC Ethical Hacker Council or something? I forget. I haven't done a lot of research on the cybersecurity search. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. A lot of people say, "Well, what I plan to do is I've kind of just formulated this plan like maybe two weeks ago. Um, is I want to go into PMP, well, project management, and then at that point in time, well, I go Scrum Master, but I want to get my security plus." Because they say if you're a project manager and you have a security plus, you can go into the cybersecurity industry. Um, because you don't need to know all the technical background. However, the security plus gives you, which I always wanted. I have most of the stuff. Like, I've always wanted to skip over CompTIA and CompTIA network because... I feel like a lot of the conceptual stuff in the security plus is common sense. I was taking a, a security plus practice test. And a lot of the questions were like asking, you know, like, is this a Trojan horse or a rootkit? And it was like, it's like kind of like obvious just from the way the question was worded. Like, that's obviously what this is. <laughs> is it obvious? <laughs> that, that's, that was the impression I got from the one practice test I took. So I might take another one and bomb it and say, never mind. I mean, I, I enjoyed, like, learning about all the new viruses. Like, there was an armor virus. There was, like, a logic bomb thing. And I was like, this is cool. Why can't it be all like this? But by the time, like, you actually, like, use this stuff, you're just like, nope, we have something better. We have, like, yeah. ransomware as a software now. So, R-I-R-R-A-S. Good luck. Which, you know, I was thinking the other day. I was like, if we get quantum computers to the degree of, like, commercial investment, would ransomware even work? Because if you have a quantum computer, I believe encryption doesn't even work, right? Because it runs, like, so many possibilities at one time. The thing is that the further technology goes, the more people designing ransomware can use that technology to design something even worse. But they'll keep up in the ante because the technology enables them to do more. I don't know, man. I don't know. But, you know... I mean, just think about, think about like, uh, a cheap AI. Like, just imagine a cheap AI that was just capable of replicating a human being. Not being super intelligent, but just being on par with human intelligence. But you could program it to do what you wanted to. I feel like those scam callers that try to, like, prey on old people who don't know what they're doing would destroy everybody over the age of 70 with that with just with an ai call bot that was actually able to act like a real human being that may be done no 
nobody would survive that scam call. Yeah, they say some individuals are getting so sophisticated uh, doing those scam calls. I just don't pick up. I'm like, eh. <laughs> if it's important, you leave a voicemail. But if you don't leave a voicemail, it's suspicious. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's why I should clear on my, on my uh, mailbox. Mm, no, no, this guy, you promptly. 17 minutes, ladies and gentlemen. That's what, that's what uh, you know, promptly means in some... Uh, <laughs> Some circles. You know, I called you back promptly when this call began, and that was like two hours ago. Um, the the time where you were like, I'm hooking up my AirPods, and you hung up on me? No, no, no. You know, well, I, in that case, that was three hours ago. You know, I heard the I heard the story about the AirPods, which is, they, they had no intention of making it into, um, like, the number one product for a year. They were just like, what else can we sell? Um... Uh, I forgot how it was, but they got they get the right technology in the right hands to to uh, to promote, and then boom, off to the races for AirPods. Like wow. people, people say, hey, didn't you find like AirPods? Like you, you lost them over this the winter, and they were in snow, and they still work. Yeah, I I had a really bad day where I was late to work. Um, I was trying to shovel my car out, and I thought, you know what, I'm so late, I'm not even going to bother shoveling the snow under it, I'm just going to, like, hit the gas and peel out, and I hit the gas, and my car, like, skidded into the snow, and then wouldn't move at all, so I then had to, like, dig each tire out, but I didn't have a real snow shovel, I had this, there's a mini snow shovel I have in my trunk for emergencies, but it's like, it's like a tiny handheld shovel that like a kid would use in a sandbox practically and i'm just using that to like scrape the ice out from under my all four of my tires so that i can pull out and while i'm in the process of that my airpods are in my jacket pocket and i'm like on my hands and knees they fall out of my pocket i don't even notice because they're white in the snow and by the time i realize it's over they're gone so i want to say like Maybe two, two and a half months later, the winter's over, spring's here, the snow finally melts. I'm out for a walk back where I normally park, and I see something in the, and I'm like, what is that, more snow? And I go, oh shit, I think those are my AirPods. And I picked them up, I dried them off for like two days. I left them somewhere, like, kind of by the, I think I left them in front of the air conditioner or something, just to dry them. And then I put them in the charger, turned them on, and they worked. You know, and then instead you could have got Raycons where they fell out of your ears because they don't fit properly and you know, could have went and ended up in near your car engine somewhere and, you know, you just never used them again after using them for only three days. And then when you asked Raycon for help, they said buy a new pair, you know. Could have had that experience instead. Goddamn Raycons. Never again will I buy those stupid headphones. I was tempted. I was tempted. Because I think over the holiday, they were like 25% off. And I was like, oh, were they that bad? And I was like, that one time you were trying to take out your headlight and bam. Beep, beep. Um, you know what we could do? We could end the podcast now. You can just, I'm, I'm good for now. I'm satisfied. <laughs>